Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to our behind the episode look at In Good Company. I'm your interviewer, Alessandra McLaughlin. I'm the patron services manager at New Conservatory Theater Center. And when I'm not doing that, I'm also a freelance director and arts administrator, which allows me to do cool stuff like this, like sit with our guest today. Today, we have Tim Pinkney. Uh, Tim is familiar to the NCTC audience for his world premiere play, Still at Risk. But Tim has written for theaters all across the country and is even working on an adaptation of Mr. Magoo's Christmas, which sounds fun. Uh, And he's also spent some time as a staff writer for Halston, which is an upcoming Netflix series starring Ewan McGregor. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Alessandro. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. So let's start with a really easy, fun question. What was it, because you've worked in different mediums, obviously you've worked in theater and you've worked in television. What was it like to move completely into an audio-based uh, field? Um, it, it was it was surprisingly different, you know. Uh, well, first of all, because we were also doing, you know, the writer's room, the group of uh, writers and Ed, uh, there were five of us. You know, we did it all on Zoom, which at that point was, it's well, to me anyway, it felt very new. You know, I know it's something we've become accustomed to because of uh, the pandemic. But uh, at the time, it was, you know, this like, this is strange. You know, usually when you write with a group of people, like on a, a TV show, you're in the same room. And and you feel that energy. And plus, you can, <laughs> if you suggest something, you can immediately see people's reaction or their body language, you know, switch if they throw it away. <laughs> it's like, okay, won't bring that up again. But um so we were just like sort of, you know, talking heads, looking at each other. Um, and it, it actually was a really good combination of people. We were five diverse, very different personalities that really came together and, you know, and, and told this beautiful story. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. But this has not answered your question one bit. Um, it was, uh, for me, it was... Uh, parts of it are easier for me because I think as a playwright, I can only speak for myself, but I hear things I don't really, like if I hand you my play, I want to know what you see because I don't necessarily see anything. I hear it. I know what it sounds like, but I don't really know necessarily what it looks like. So um, for me, I, I, I liked this because I love I love dialogue. I love listening to people talk. I know this is, I sound like an idiot saying that, but, uh, but I do, I love to write dialogue and I love, I love. I feel you a hundred percent. I'm a professional eavesdropper. Right now we can get into the nitty gritty of your episode. I'm excited. Oh I, I think <laughs> you gave me a good transition. I appreciate it. Uh, and I think what is so interesting is how you brought out the George Floyd connection with everything that's going on. What was it like to, you know, this podcast is happening in real time, if you really think about it. It's, you guys were respond. you all as writers are responding to the moment as it's like currently happening. What has that been like for you? Um, you know, it's been tricky, be- um, I think, because um, a lot of things we wanted to talk about, because as all of us, you know, are sheltering at home, uh, and even more so at the time that we were writing this, I know things have loosened up. A little bit, um, but um, you know what, what we kept questioning is what do people really want to hear about? You, you don't want to hear a, constantly hear a lot of people complaining about having to stay home and not being able to work. We're all doing that. I don't want to be entertained by somebody doing the same thing that everybody I know is doing to me on a daily basis on Facebook or Instagram or you know uh, wherever. Everybody's going through this, so the, I think that the challenge was 
to find a way to talk about this and keep it compelling and tell a story that uh, might be a little uh, might be a little different than most people's experiences, but also would still tie in um, the f- the frustrations and the fears that we that we've all experienced as we've gone through this. Mm-hmm. And how did you capture? It seems like everyone in the scenes that you wrote had this. You know, obviously in a play, you want urgency. No one want. I was once told uh, as a young artist that no one wants to watch a version of Hamlet where he goes to the bathroom. Like that's why Hamlet is condensed. That's why theater is condensed life. Um, but how did you capture all of that urgency? It felt like the episode you had, you know, obviously the overarching urgency of the world, but how did you capture that into these individuals? Um, the challenge, you know, the challenge of this whole series is that each episode is 15 minutes. So about 15 minutes. So a lot has to happen. So it needs to be um, efficient. It needs to be economical. And there can't be a lot of fat on it. And to be uh, to be given the, um, the task to... Uh, we, my character in my scene is the first time anybody hears about George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, there's... To me, the best way to, to confront it was through the eyes of the teenage son, was through Andre. Um, as a young African-American kid, the impact it would have on him seemed to be monumental to me. Um, and to see it through a small family's eyes um, of them hearing the announcement on CNN and them hearing it instead of, instead of me trying to write about it, I thought, you know, the, what actually happened is more than enough. It, it, all, all the horror you need actually happened and you don't need me to put anything else on top of that. Um, so what I wanted to do was just have these characters experience how they experienced it in the way that we all experienced it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think what's so brilliantly captured in that moment for me, what really was the big gut punch is there's not that many words said about it. You know, he just says, just turn on the TV, like just, just watch. And I felt like it took me back to that moment where we all were watching. There was like an entire week where, and you know, it's still happening, obviously, even, even if the news doesn't want to report about it, it's still happening. But I remember that week where it happened, where it was like the murder happened. CNN was out there. CNN reporters were getting arrested. Like it was, it seems like you've really captured it in that small amount of space. Is, was that intentional that it wasn't this grand discussion about it? It was just this brief Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. I, Cause I, like I alluded to before, I just, I didn't think it needed anything else. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the mention of George Floyd's name, still stops me in my tracks when I, cause I right. happened and I feel like that's enough for um, dramatically speaking, because you're not going to, you know, it's, it's so hard to separate the horror of the actual incident. And, but you're also trying to dramatize and tell a story. Um, I think a lot of it is, is me trusting that the, the impact of hearing this 16 year old kid um, react to this was going to be enough. You know, um, so many, you, you know, this this long history of, of senseless murders of young African-American men, especially, you know, he's, he, he's like the prime age of so many of these, you know, these, these kids that have been gunned down. And so, of course, his mother knows that and is terrified. And I just, 
I think what we know as as an audience is enough to put things on top of it. I, I used to, if, let me see if I can, uh, without talking too much, if I can give you another example. Um, I used to be a personal assistant to uh, Fred Ebb of John Candor and Fred Ebb, who wrote Cabaret uh-huh. Chicago. And Freddie was one of my closest friends. And I remember talking to him about writing Cabaret. And what's so brilliant about Cabaret is that we, as audience members, we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. People that like Sally Bowles and Herr Schultz that decide to stay in Germany and, and go through this, we know what's going to happen to them as an audience member. And we watch these people who don't know what's going to happen. So it's to have the idea of having something that ominous floating over your head. I mean, as a, as a writer, anytime you can have something like that, it just feeds your story because of just because of the existence of it, because of what it is. And the, you know, the horror of, of of everything that that generated this Black Lives movement, we we live with that. We know what that means. So you got a uh, you know, this young kid on the street, and his mothers don't know where he is, and there's there's immediate fear because I think we have some understanding of that, or you we know, have a knowledge. I hope we do. Right, and that I think the cabaret example is perfect because that's exactly how I felt when I saw cabaret. Uh, I saw the revival in 2011, right. and I felt the exact same way. I was like, we know exactly where this is going. And it's still like, Oh my God, these people don't, don't know. It's not, you know, it's a really interesting look that brings me to my last question. And we sort of touched on this, but I'm really curious about this. I always feel that like when you're writing about current events, it's really difficult when the moment is currently happening. So like, I always look at it like election plays. I know there were a ton of plays specifically about the election while when it had just happened and you know right after we really none of i felt that none of us had really processed that moment i think we're honestly even still processing it how does it feel to write something that is responding to a moment currently a thing that we are processing in real time that's got to be difficult as a writer yeah it's you know and it's challenging and and, and plus you know what, everything that was happening things were changing daily you know what was come out of that mouth of the idiot in the White House. We never knew, you know, and it's, uh, and, and, you know, getting information about what, this is when the um, vaccine is going to be ready. And, and if you have antibodies, you're, you're probably okay. Oh, well, maybe you're not, you know, are you doing, are you checking this? Are you checking that? And, you know, it was just changing um, on a regular basis. And, you know, for me, I'm being a man of a certain vintage, um, you know, I went, I was, prominently active and working during the height of the AIDS crisis in New York City. And there are some parallels, you know, to how people responded. Um, uh, I think because we're so frustrated and we're feeling trapped at home, people don't realize how fast this vaccine is actually happening. It's obviously happening fast enough, but what's happening with how science is moving this forward at the rate they're moving it forward is actually extraordinary. It's, of course fast enough for any of us, but this is not generally how things get done. And it's, it's, uh, it's remarkable and, and it's, mm-hmm. so, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, and I've completely forgotten what you asked me. That's okay. I asked about responding to the moment and writing in this moment and you responded beautifully. You answered, cause I think the parallel to the AIDS crisis is perfect. Cause that was exactly 
where my, when all of this started, that was immediately where my mind went. It was like, Oh, I've had friends who've had to deal with this. You know, I have a lot of older friends and things like that. My boyfriend's a little bit is older than I am. So we, we were talking about that too. And just seeing it through his lens and his friends lenses, it's been eye opening. And I immediately went to, cause I'm a huge Larry Kramer fan. I obviously thought of the normal heart. And of course we lost him in 2020, which is very sad. Um, but it made me think about, you bring up an interesting point about the medicine um, and the vaccine, because if you watch the documentary, how to survive a plague, which I'm sure you've seen, they have that very clear timeline where you're like, you don't realize how long these things take. Like, of course it never happens fast enough, but, and it's happening at a, now that medicine has advanced so far, even from that time, it's pretty crazy. And I think you answered the question well. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a a slippery slope to compare the two because, you know, at the time, there wasn't an urgency for a vaccine because a lot of this country wasn't concerned with who was dying. But when it's right. everyone, you know, then everybody's concerned. You know, we we went through years of a president being completely silent, a mayor in New York City being completely silent and not addressing what was happening right before them and, and letting people die because, you know, when you look at somebody like Reagan, who I hated, but you couldn't deny his charisma and if he had rallied his people, it would have happened a lot faster. And this idiot in the white Absolutely. It's, it's amazing how choices like that uh, can sort of change things. And you're bringing us to the end of our episode. That was a great, great end. Uh, I want to say thank you so much, Tim, for joining me today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. It seems that Tim has froze, but thank you for joining me, Tim, in this bonus episode for In Good Company, presented by New Conservatory Theater Center. We are San Francisco's premier nonprofit queer and allied theater, and you can learn more about us at nctcsf.org, where you can also donate any amount helps bring digital content like this to you, as well as keep our doors open and keep us creating art, which we love to do. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at New Conservatory Theater Center. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us.